Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. In today's episode, Kevin and I talk about some of the ways that a government acquisition office may deal with the impact of a government shutdown. This podcast is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. Becoming a Skyway community member makes it easier to navigate the complicated world of government contracting because you gain contacts from Skyway's team of former contracting officers. As a member, you get unlimited access to the Ask a Contracting Officer forum and hundreds of articles, webinars, and training modules. Go to skywaymember.com to get started with a personal membership because without context, you're likely overlooking problems that you don't see. Okay, let's get started with our conversation about recovering from a government shutdown. We usually focus on topics for the podcast that are not time-specific. Yeah, we like for our episodes, a couple of years worth of content now, for people to be able to go back and listen to it and still be able to use it because it's not tied to a specific event that happened at a particular time. However, however, as of this recording, we're over 30 days into a government shutdown. And regardless of your politics – We hope that our elected officials will do their job, and one of their primary jobs is to pass a budget so that the government isn't shut down, and that's not what's happening now. In episode 134, we explained what a government shutdown was, because back then it was a smaller one. That shutdown and the ones that preceded it tended to be pretty short, but there still was some kind of an impact. This one is worth spending some time talking about. So we'll do our best to stay out of the politics of this shutdown and talk about the impacts and some of the things that the government may do to recover from this shutdown. Before we do that, let's stop and say thanks. I want to say thanks this week to Carrie Stratmone from American Systems. She's in the Chantilly, Virginia area. She's a podcast listener, and she gave me some great feedback on how she uses the podcast to make her better at her job. She's a contracts manager. And thanks also to Carrie for liking and sharing our content on LinkedIn, because the best way for people to find this content that we're giving away for free is for people like Carrie to share it. Thanks, Carrie. This is an important topic for obvious and some not so obvious reasons. The obvious reason is the work needs to get done. The, the government, yes, the, the process has shut down temporarily, but the work didn't go away. As is being played out in the news, the work still needs to get done. And this is a different shutdown than the usual shutdowns because it's only a partial shutdown. Usual shutdowns. That's an alarming concept. Yeah, and and it has become usual. In the past, the shorter shutdowns were pretty much the entire government except for some essential employees. And we talked about that in the episode about shutdowns, what's essential. This time, Congress has passed the budget for Department of Defense and some other areas – They're still working. So in a lot of ways, work is going on as usual. All the rest of the agencies don't have a budget and are shut down. So it's not as much pain as it would be if everything was shut down. Really strange and really confusing for government contractors and for the general public when, hey, the government's shut down, but why are these TSA employees still on the job at airports? Well, they're actually shut down, but working without pay. But there are parts of the government that are still working and are still getting paid. And to to your point, this is probably going artificially longer than if everything were shut down. If the entire government had come to a screeching halt, 
the amount of sand in the hourglass <laughs> would be <laughs> flowing faster. So anyway, yet another reason this one is unique. These shutdowns, I mean, they're, they're wicked time vampires. Back in 2011, I had a looming shutdown. It didn't actually happen, but the potential of it created a problem because I was supposed to travel to, to support a source selection, and I was supposed to travel back after the shutdown would have happened. As it turns out, it didn't happen. But in the meantime, they wouldn't assign my travel orders for me to travel because if I got there and I couldn't get back because the government was shut down, I was a non-starter. As a result, my source selection was kicked another month. And thank God nobody protested over the fact that this one offer, I wasn't at his evaluation when I was at the other two. And that's a scenario where the shutdown didn't actually happen. Like at 1158, they got their act together and passed it. Right. So imagine what's happening now. And it's, this is all non-value added exercise. This is all sideways activity. That's what makes it so frustrating. And we could say, well, this is the government contracts people's job is to manage this. I get that. But I go back to my point of it's non-value added activity. That's why it's so frustrating. And that's why the shadow of it rolls on for a while. Because what we end up doing is making contingency plans for in case something happens and that that something doesn't happen, then we wasted our time or invested it in something that doesn't have any return, which is the same thing as wasting it. Let's talk about how this impacts the government and why the government cares. Some people may be thinking, why does the government care? They signed an order saying that all the government employees were going to get paid even though they're not working now. So talk about a lack of productive effort, paying people to not work. For the government, the clock doesn't just reset. September 30th, it's still looming. The fact that nothing happened for a month in these, in these agencies that are shut down, the money for that agency still expires on September 30th. They have less time to get the work done that they had scheduled for this year because they lost a month. Depending on what kind of money it is, of course, but that's another episode. That's the Colors of Money episode. Contracting officers and acquisition teams are going to be playing catch-up throughout the rest of this fiscal year and probably even beyond that. The mission never stops. So the government teams have to have a plan for how are they going to continue the mission. And continuing the mission can be a real problem if you're a small business. What if a small business doesn't get paid for 60 days? since we're on a government shutdown. Normally, that's an uncommon problem because the government pays on time, right? Well, now it's a real possibility that a small company who is effectively operating you know, month to month because they're a small business, they didn't get paid for two months, they may have gone out of business. So the government's ability to flip the switch and go back to that contractor, they may knock on the door and nobody's home. And there's a trickle-down effect. Even if you have a contract with a large business, they may have small business subcontractors. If all of that stops during the shutdown, it may not turn back on and operate the way it did before you stopped it. Particularly with service contractors, because those people, unlike the government employees who are kind of expected to hang out and wait for the job to come back on the contractor side, they may have gotten other jobs and be gone for good. So we're blending between why the government cares and why the industry cares here, right? The government's trying to support the mission, and there are a lot of impacts that prevent you from supporting the mission. We've already touched upon the industry side here. This may be the primary source of income or the only source of income for a small business. If there's a gap in getting paid, unlike government employees who are eventually going to get paid, contractors don't get back pay. They may not be able to continue to operate once the spigot gets turned back on. It's like you said, those, their employees may decide, I've had it with government business. I'm going to go work for a company that doesn't get shut down every year. And again, this is more of an impact to service contractors. 
but especially if they're on government sites. If you're not able to get on the government site because the government site is shut down, you're not able to, to get in to do your job. There's less impact if you're a development contractor. If you're building a widget and the government gave you money to build the widget, you probably get to continue building your widget. And the issue may come if you have to have government inspection in order to deliver it. There may be no one there to inspect it and accept it. That gets into other remedies that we've talked about in other episodes about requests for equitable adjustments and things like that. The impacts aren't limited to just ongoing work. There are real delays to every acquisition that's underway right now. So we've been talking about impacts during the execution time zones, after award of a contract when work is being done and it has to stop because the government is shut down. This also impacts everything that happens during the acquisition time zones. If there is an acquisition in progress, whether they're building the requirements, doing their market research, trying to release a request for a proposal, or even doing a source selection, all those things are stopped right now. And, and if you're new to the podcast, episode three explains the acquisition time zones, and episode 84 explains the execution time zones, if you have context on that. But you're right, it, it, this touches all of them in different ways. So being more on the development side, this is what I'm seeing, is that we've submitted proposals that the government can't even make an award decision, let alone award. Everything stretches out much farther than we would like and more than the users would like because they're not going to have a contractor to do what they need them to do when they thought they were going to do it. Just imagine if you have a contract with options. You might be fine right now. You're a development contractor. You have a contract that ends on January 31st, and there's an option to continue performance. The government's already sent you a note saying, we intend to exercise that option and continue performance. But now there's no government to exercise the option. So on January 31st, your work's going to come to an end. They might exercise the option after they get back, but you're going to have a gap. And to show how far the impact of this can stretch, I've been working as an expert witness on a case, and we're in limbo because the court is slowed down, and, and legal processes take a long time already, so like forever, and now it's like forever <laughs> square because they're losing even more time. And, and to multiply that by all of the cases that are in, in, in court it's going to slow a lot of things down that we're going to feel for a while. So let's talk about what the government can do. Some of the things they may do to get things going again once the shutdown is over. There are a lot of options, but we picked four <laughs> to kind of compress it into one episode here. It could feel like restarting a factory. Imagine that you mothballed a factory for like six months, turned off the lights, shut off every machine, all completely dark. And then you walk in, turn on the lights, go, okay, let's go. It's not going to work that way. right? Here's four examples of things that could be done or could happen once they flip the lights back on and things start moving again. First, there's a clause called option to extend services. It's FAR 52.217-8. And this is usually added to service contracts, but it's not required. The clause states the government may require continued performance of any services specified in the contract total extension shall not exceed six months. And all the contracting officer has to do is send written notice to the contractor that we are going to extend your contract and the contractor has to continue those services. Yeah, this is a unilateral modification that says keep going for six more months. But this clause needs to be in the contract first. 52.217-8 has to be in the contract first in order to be able to exercise it. Another clause that may be in the contract is 52.217-9. This is option to extend the term of the contract. And this is 
sort of pre-negotiated. It still is unilateral on the government's part, but the contractor has agreed to the terms of this option when they originally negotiated the contract. It's not just, hey, you have to keep working for another six months. So once again, this clause says the contracting officer has to provide written notice that I want to exercise this option. The clause has to already be in the contract. Otherwise, you have to do a justification approval, sole source justification kind of thing to extend it. Funny enough, when I was awarding a lot of contracts, I would use options because we wanted the flexibility to award later. The reason it's funny is that it wasn't because we wanted to be able to recover from a shutdown. It was because we wanted mission flexibility. So it's a weird phenomenon that that's why you would want an option exercise is in case this happens, you, you need to be able to extend the contract. Normally, you have a five-year contract. You're expecting to have it all, for all five years, and you're going to recompete you know, in, in the fifth year. Well, in this case, you may realize that because you lost some time, <laughs> you have to recompete sooner. I was wondering why it was funny that you would include this clause in, in contracts. It's not actually funny that you would do that. It's funny that it had nothing to do with preparing for shutdowns. Yeah, that's going to be a part of the FAR now. Shutdown contingency clause. <laughs> Frightening concept, by the way. Another recovery option that contracting officers may use is to increase the use of multiple award schedules, multiple award contracts, and government-wide acquisition contracts, which we talked about in episode 220 with Vicki Straharsky. She's Skyway's guru on all things multiple award. The reason that use of these may increase is because it's a path of least resistance. They're set up to allow rapid ordering and make things go a little more quickly. They generally have a broad performance work statement or statement of work that allows contracting officer to award relatively quickly. Here's the catch. You have to already be on those multiple award schedules as a contractor. Right. If you're not on them, then this is catastrophic to you. If the work went from your contract and it's getting moved to a GWAC and you're not on the GWAC, there's not enough time for you to get on the GWAC. So while that's really convenient for the government, that may be somewhat painful. Inconvenient for you. Yes, inconvenient. <laughs> We have a series about the fair opportunity process under FAR 16.5, which is where most of this or all of this multiple award schedule, MAC contract, government-wide acquisition contract stuff comes from. One more way that the government may choose to dig out of the shutdown hole is to <laughs> increase the ceiling on existing contracts or write a separate contract, which is sometimes called a bridge contract, to get from one contract to another. So if there's a contract that supports the mission that is ending soon and you had an acquisition in process that now you can't complete, you can't let that mission support end. So you may negotiate a modification with your current contractor, with the incumbent, to increase the ceiling on their contract so that they can continue performing without going over the, the contract value and funding. You may have to give them more. Or if that's not an option, you may need to write a new sole source contract to them just to bridge the gap until you can get this acquisition that's going to replace it awarded. And either way, that requires a justification and approval. It's subject to agency rules depending on the size. But in short, you're, you're now outside of the originally competed scope of the contract, and that requires a sole source justification. Just think about all the extra work that a shutdown causes. All of this extra paperwork, bridge contracts, Ceiling increases, all these justification approvals, sole source justification paperwork. Ugh. And, and all we're effectively doing is kicking the can down the road because the contract's being recompeted. 
it's just we need an extra year or six months or whatever the number is to get it done. And I've had several of those. The biggest one was a couple hundred million dollars that we that we we reached the ceiling too soon. It wasn't a government shutdown, but we reached the the ceiling too soon because of a growth in the requirement. And so the scope of the contract was one point two billion dollars. And so now it was we hit that one point two billion in three years instead of five. And we hadn't competed a new contract. We needed to increase the ceiling on the contract, even though we weren't extending the five years, if that makes sense. And so the same kind of phenomenon is happening here for a different reason is that we were expecting to have this contract expired and have moved on to the next one. But because, I don't know, we weren't at work <laughs> when it actually expired, <laughs> we're, we're having to basically you know, play a shell game. And shell games don't create value for anybody, which is why this is such a frustrating exercise from a government contract's perspective. And again, because it's interesting to point out, government shutdown is not an exemption to competition under FAR 6.3. So when you extend this contract or increase the ceiling using a JNA, you have to get a little creative and say, well, here's why. The exemptions that are listed in there, like unusual compelling urgency, only one company, statutory guidance or statutory requirement, there isn't one that says the government was shut down. <laughs> so, so It's all the not my fault. It's not my fault. <laughs> That's right. So all the government folks are having to be creative to document this and say, okay, well, does my agency decide that this is a reason to not compete work? All of this stuff is just happening. Speaking of stuff that's happening, what's happening now is we should wrap this up. <laughs> Time to land the plane. On the government side, communicate your plan of how you're going to catch up as soon as you can. Industry teams are not likely to know all this stuff has to happen because they're seeing their side going, well, crap, I haven't got paid for, for two months. And now they're trying to figure out what to do. They don't realize all the things that are happening on the government side. Let industry know what you're doing. Like if you're doing a bridge contract and tell them that's the plan, even if you haven't gotten it done yet, tell them this is our plan. Or if you're mid source selection and you were supposed to have the source selection awarded yet, it says on FBO this can be awarded by February 1st. Well, well you know that it's going to be like June 1st. <laughs> Put that out there because I mean, that, the sooner people know, the better. On the industry side, you got to be patient and, and make some contingency plans because it's likely this is going to take months to catch up from or, or, or longer. I mean, I'll be, I'll be blunt. This impacts of this are going to roll in the next fiscal year. Because mothballing a factory for a, a, a month, think about what that would look like from an industry perspective. Or having all of your employees go home for a month and then have them all come back. Hoping they all come back. Yeah, there's that, hoping they come back. But then just, just getting back to speed, getting back to schedules, I mean, it's not a flip the switch and go. And we have to understand that neither side, neither side is going to be able to just flip the switch. So there's going to be a whole lot of communication needed to not make this a train wreck. We've been talking about this somewhat flippantly in, in some cases but this is real impact. There are government employees and industry, loyal industry employees that have supported the government for years that are feeling real impacts from not being paid. If there's any lesson from this outside of what to do if the government shuts down, contact your congressman or representative or both and let them know how you feel about shutdowns and that you expect them to do their job. And understand what the impact is. It's a lot bigger than just politics. The number of ways this expands into government contracts, we kind of scratched the surface on this episode. All right. With that, I'll talk to you later, Kevin. See you, Paul. Okay, that's it for this episode. If you need help navigating the impacts of this government shutdown, visit AskSkyway.com because Skyway's team of former contracting officers can help. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Bye.